You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. All right, everyone. I am getting us started this week, and boy, howdy, do I have something for us today. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. All right. So as naturalists, we tend to, at least in our work, have a variety of amphibians and reptiles that we work with. Sure. Yes, yeah. that is true. We teach about the habitats and the species themselves. We also teach about their various defenses. Uh, so, Kirk and Victoria, what are some common oh, yeah. defensive strategies of frogs? Camouflage. Camouflage. Mm -hmm. uh, they can uh, make themselves larger to maybe look more intimidating or harder to swallow. Mm -hmm. They can jump and swing, swim very quickly. Those are all really good ones. Uh, how about, wait a minute, how about being toxic? Being toxic? Ooh. I like or it. you know, have, have, having having poisonous secretions on your body. Those are all really good defensive strategies. Uh, the animal that the frog I'm talking about today does none of those things. Okay. Well, I mean, it does some of those things. Obviously, yeah, sure, sure. it swims away. But that's not what you're talking about. No. So the frog I'm talking about is the hairy frog, or ready for the Latin, trico. Yeah. Tricto. Nope. Trichobotrachus robustus. Right. Okay. Uh, it is hairy. hairy frog. Yeah. And it's a Central African species of frog. It was first okay. described in Western science by George Bull... By George Bull Neger, a Belgian zoologist in 1900. Uh, it gets its name mainly from the breeding male. Uh, so I'm going to describe this frog and then I will go forward a little bit more about how bizarre this is. So they're okay. about four to five inches long with the females actually being slightly smaller than the males. Can I, can I ask a question? Are you talking yes. stretched out or just sort of in their resting state? Cause that can be quite different. Yes. So it's just in their body. So from the tip of their nose, all the way down to their cloaca. Okay, right. so we're not talking like legs and stretched legs. Not including including stretched legs. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested. Head. Yes. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm oh, really okay. interested to see where you're going with this because uh, if I recall my amphibians correctly, uh, they're known for not having any hair. Uh huh. <laughs> you are right. Well spotted, Victoria. Nice job. They do tend to, you know, not have hair. Hmm. <laughs> So they have a broad head with a rounded snout and males actually have three short ridges of small black spines on the inner part of their like front foot digit on the side of their like front foot. Okay. Uh, uh -huh. However, when the male 
males of the species are breeding, they will develop dermal papillae along their thighs and the sides of their body, which looks oh. a lot like hair. Dermal actually papillae. Uh-huh. It is like how how long are we talking here? Um about a half inch to an inch. That's oh my. lengthy. Wow. Uh-huh. So this is this is not like a peach fuzz. We're talking no, like shaggy. Shaggy. And for those of us who don't know what that is, that, that means that they're strands of hair or hair. They are strands of skin that are filled with arteries. Okay. And the hypothesis is the breeding male develops these not for like attracting mates or anything, but they think right. that this terrestrial species of frog uses these to act as like an external gill and absorb op- oxygen. Because after wow. the female lays the eggs on the rock, the male will actually stay with the eggs until they turn into tadpoles. Uh, this is, this is underwater? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. On a rock, underwater, underwater rock. Got it. Underwater rock. Gotcha. That's a helpful bit of information. Yes. Okay, so, so he, he doesn't he have gills, but he uses these hair things to help him breathe underwater. They think. Yeah. They think. They're not really sure. Um, and this is what my research has said. These are muscular tadpoles. So they are some beefy babies. And, oh, by the way, they have several rows of teeth. 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 The tadpole. The The tadpoles tadpoles do or the adults? The tadpoles. Okay. Wow. Now, they aren't true teeth. They aren't true teeth. Okay. These are uh, cornified. So they're just like fake not fake, but they're bumps inside that actually cause them to, like, chew. Okay, so it's, like, bumps on their jaw rather than actual teeth. Yes. Okay. Now, if that all wasn't bizarre enough, one of their methods of defense, their one of their primary ones, be- besides, like, hiding and swimming away and things like that. Mm-hmm. They literally break the bones of their toes to project through their skin when they are grabbed or attacked. Oh my gosh. Okay, this this like would explain Wolverine. something. Yeah, be- Harry <laughs> because and- I just looked up an image of this frog uh-huh. and I was like, why does one of these why does a picture of Wolverine come up <laughs> in my search? One of their and, common and names. You said it right as I was looking at it. One of their common wow. names is the Wolverine frog. Also the horror frog. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, wow. So that sounds incredibly painful. Right. Right. Uh, this is the only. Just to clarify, the bones are not made out of adamantium. No, they are not okay, made out of good. adamantium. They are actual bones. So these gotcha. look a lot like um, cat claws, actually. So they're not like yep. super out. Like a Wolverine's claws, uh, mm-hmm. which is, I'm not going to lie, what I thought originally when I <laughs> first heard of this. I'm like, how long are these frogs' claws? Right. They got long hair. Why, they got Why long claws not? Too, right? um, so these are much shorter. But it is enough for them to pierce through 
the frog's foot pad. Uh, so what happens is there is a small bony nodule in the tissue of like the frog's fingertip, which right, is where right. the sharp claw is anchored using like collagen. Yeah. And when yep. it's threatened, grabbed, or like attacked, it's the muscle uh, that is attached to the back part will break the collagen and will, since the muscle is contracting, it causes the bone to go. And now it is a claw. I love how you, you, you think that, that people listening know what means. <laughs> With the it, hand gesture. I made a claw motion for all of us okay. listening. Um, so it breaks that connection and it forces the bone through its skin while that muscle contracts. Oh, man. So can, like, like Wolverine, are they extra um, special healers? Can they heal after they do this? Or is it, do they then just have their bones sticking through their skin for the rest of their life? So, fun fact, these are, they are retractable, apparently. We, we don't know how they retract the claws. We don't know what happens when they retract the claws. The thought is that it happens passively, like when the muscle relaxes, the the bones go back in. And by the way, this is sure, a sharpened sure. bit of bone. It's not just like, you know, the edge of a femur or anything yeah, like that. It's I'm, a sharpened I'm, bit of bone. I'm but, looking at the Google image yeah. search here, and it's, I don't know if it's an x-ray or just like a close-up and the skin is kind of transparent, but you can mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. And the it does, the shape is actually a lot like a cat claw. Um, exactly. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. But there's no muscle that causes them to be able to retract. So they, scientists, the current idea is that it's passive. Okay. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what I have for you all today. And when we return from our break, it'll be Victoria. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. Well, we're back. Uh, and my topic today, I'm going to take you on a trip to South Africa, maybe Botswana, kind of the semi-arid areas of the of Southern Africa. And I want you to imagine that you're taking a hike uh, and it's a pretty dry, grassy area. And ahead of you, you see a stand of trees. Seems like a nice place to take a rest in the shade. So you're walking toward them. And as you're walking toward these trees, you notice at the ground, um, near the base of the trees, something's sticking out of the ground. It looks mostly walking brown. Away. What? I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly wise. Uh, it's mostly brown, but there's this, this flash of uh, salmon orange color. Okay. Can't quite tell what's going on. It doesn't really look like an animal or a flower. Not sure what it is. And suddenly the breeze shifts towards you. And your nose is overwhelmed by a horrible putrid odor that smells sort of like poop or maybe a rotting uh, body. So Gross. this sounds kind of like the corpse flower that uh, Rachel was telling us about. Well, yep. possibly. 
As you get a closer look at these strange objects, you realize the smell is in fact coming from them. Um, so okay. you can take a look at the email I sent you now. Oh, is this a boy. dead body, Victoria? It is not a dead body. <sighs> okay, you seem, what? you seem to have mistakenly sent me a Giorgio O'Keefe painting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does look a lot like uh, Georgia O'Keefe painting. Um, so to that's just... something. Or perhaps fans of um, Stranger Things will recognize mm -hmm. the uh, the mouth of the uh, Demogorgon. Ah, uh, yeah. It does kind of look like it's preparing to open to devour uh, something. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how big they are, but the outside it's like three petal looking shapes that are kind of yep. rough and brown on the outside. And the like inside a, like a, is like a, this... a, a very textured brown leather mm -hmm. yeah. on the outside. Yep. And the inside looks like a very fleshy pink thing with very uh, fleshy. So yeah. so fleshy. <laughs> and uh kind of like I'm not gonna lie, it looks a little bit like an elongated cantaloupe. Yeah, the inside is sort of melon like. Yeah. I'm getting a bit of like a uh also like an earth star mushroom. Kind of vibe mm -hmm. off this as well, if you know what those look like. I don't, but... Uh... Maybe like okay, well. a fleshy crab claw from uh, another planet coming out to grab us. Yeah, it does have a very does look like something... alien aspect, in my opinion. Yeah, so you, you land on a foreign planet and you're like, oh, what is this thing? And then it like comes further out of the ground, opens up, and, and eats you. Yeah, it, it, yes. you, you do think it might be something that's going to grab you and... Um, pull you under make itself your host something yeah <laughs> well and this is where the dead body smell is coming from yes what do you think it is oh, what lovely. what kingdom of life oh this is sounds like this is a trick question um <laughs> i want to I mean, say fungi yeah i get that that sort of vibe to it that's why i was thinking that's kind of reminded me of that earth star uh, mushroom but that that color that like it's gonna be in the plant kingdom is melon it? yeah plant or or fungus is kind of where i'd go you tell us this is in the animal kingdom if this is an animal I i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> i will it's, it is not I'm an going animal. to leave okay all right thank goodness oh <laughs> hey it won't eat us then i mean look look it's the podcast called strange by nature if it was an animal i would be horrified but also overjoyed that our planet is so strange and wonderful uh but go ahead and tell us what it right, is so it is actually yeah. a plant but it is a very okay, strange plant um and the the comparison to the corpse flower is pretty apt the latin name is called hydnora africana uh the english name is jackal food uh also oh. known as yakels kos in afrikaans or hang on a moment mavumbuka in zulu so it is a parasitic plant. I'm, I'm not going to contradict you on that. Nope. Mm -mm. You've heard me try to speak Latin. That was my best guess at Zulu. So for any Zulu-speaking oh, okay. listeners, I apologize if I got that wrong. So it is a parasitic plant, like the corpse flower, and it attaches itself to the roots of trees in the genus Euphorbia. And also, like a different topic that rachel talked about recently uh like the indian pipe plant it has lost its chlorophyll ah, cool. okay. it does not need chlorophyll as a parasite so these seeds are most likely to germinate near a host plant and then they they 
put down a primary root and they get close to the root of the host plant and then it excretes an enzyme that eats through the outer layer of the root and it kind of okay. forms this graft where it grafts itself to the root. Wow, cool. Oh, so it's like, it, it whoa. So yeah. it's attaching itself to a tree root. The plant and actually getting, is it getting the nutrients from the roots and just sapping parts of it? Yep, so it just pulls its nutrients from the host. And then so it, that's it, crazy. This is, it's a, so did it, is, do they consider it a saprophyte, do you know? Is that the, the correct I term then? Because don't remember if I saw that exact term okay. on in my research. It could be. Cool. Um, so then it, it creates its own network of underground stems, and it grows almost entirely underground. And the part that I showed you a picture of that actually emerges out of the ground is the, the flower. As little as that oh. actually looks like a flower. Well, I could see it's... it. I mean, we thought it was like a fruit type thing. And yeah. technically, right. the beginning of a f middle, well, that's the end product of a flower, I suppose, is a fruit. Okay. Yes. Um, so these buds come up out of the ground. It starts out as a kind of an oval, ovoid bub bud, which is like 10 to 15 centimeters long, so about four to six inches. And it has this rough, uh, scaly, pebbly brown surface. You kind of noticed that on the outside. And it's on top of a short tube that's about two centimeters in diameter. And like an alien pod, this bud splits open vertically in, to make three or four lobes, vertical lobes. And mm -hmm. at first, there's very only a very tiny slit in between all the lobes, and these slits are lined with bristles. And then, yeah, I wouldn't mention like the little hairs kind of yeah. on, on the yeah, sides. Yeah, they look very much like teeth. Yep. Disturbing, for sure. Yep. We're <laughs> going with the alien. It looks like like baleen, like really short baleen on uh, from whales. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, well, that's an interesting comparison. We're going to get to that, Rachel. Um, what? So then when the flower fully opens, it's got that fleshy, bright salmon orange interior that you were noticing before. Um, and the entire inner surface of the lobes is actually covered with these stiff downward pointing bristles. Ah, oh, okay. Downward okay. pointing bristles. Downward pointing, exactly. Yeah. Why are they so, downward pointing? <laughs> the foul smell, you might guess, is to attract its pollinators, which are mainly carrion beetles. Okay. So the beetles enter these slits before the flower has fully opened, um, being attracted by the smell, and they actually get trapped in the bristles inside. And they can't climb up because the bristles are downward pointing. Downward pointing. Oh, yeah. okay. And they drop Makes down sense. into that tube, and the tube contains the anthers. So the beetle gets covered in pollen and then drops down even further onto the stigma, which is soft and shaped like a cushion, according to my sources. <laughs> so it pollinates the flower. Nice and then soft when the, landing. Yeah. When the flower fully opens, the beetles can escape. Now, one of the sources I read said that they could eat some of the flower flesh. So I guess if that's true, this is not entirely without a reward for them. Right. But, so they're so. only, are they, are they only self-pollinating? I mean, not self-pollinating in the sense of doing it themselves, but the pollen from one part. It doesn't sound like there's any mixing of pollen. They're getting their own pollen yeah. back, it sounds like. I mean, I guess that's mainly what happens, but I guess it could also happen that it, it goes 
once it, it doesn't page, learn so. its lesson, it, it goes to another. Right. Uh, another like, hey, this is nice. I mean, yes, if I'm a carry-on beetle, I, I, this is a nice vacation. I get a little bit of food. There's some nectar and a nice soft cushion to sit on. But I can't but I imagine nice. if you're a carrion beetle, though, this is like you're kind of thinking, maybe like if I'm going out and I'm like, I'm going to get a really great hamburger for dinner. And then someone brings me like a veggie burger. <laughs> and you're like, you know, I mean, it, maybe it doesn't taste bad, but it's not what I, it's not what I was told was going to happen here. Yeah. Based That's on the fair. wonderful aroma you're pumping out of your restaurant. I think I think you're pretty much right, Kirk. <laughs> that, okay, that's fair. Very strange that I'm right, but yeah. <laughs> so after the fruit develops, uh, or sorry, after the flowers pollinated, the fruit develops, it takes about one to two years to develop, and it develops underground. And it actually contains a sweet and starchy edible pulp that's got thousands of seeds in it. And it is joy, enjoyed by, as you might guess from the name, jackals, oh. baboons, um, other mammals, birds. And people can also eat it. It's uh, said to be a traditional food of the Khoi people of Southern Africa. Um, okay. And it's apparently, I'm not sure exactly how this lines up with it being edible, but it's also apparently extremely astringent and could be used for making for making um or for tanning things and preserving oh, fish sure. nets. I was yeah. really looking around for somebody giving a recent firsthand account of trying this fruit, but I couldn't right. find anything. There was only stuff from like, you know, books from nineteen twenty four that were quoted. That, that kind of thing. That's that's fair. I will say I'm I'm not over the fact that it takes one to two years for this fruit to develop here. That's a yeah. long time for a fruit to develop. Yeah. Um, it's also traditional medicine for diarrhea, dysentery, and kidney and bladder problems. And uh, right. some recent some recent lab tests have shown some antibacterial and antioxidant activity. So it's uh, a useful and very, very strange plant. Uh, really one of the strangest looking plants in the world, I would venture to say. Yeah, look it up. It's very cool. Yeah. And I really want to... Cool. I want to thank the South African National Biodiversity Institute, who had a very informative webpage on this plant. When cool. we come back from the break, uh, it's going to be quick. Welcome back. Uh, I want to talk about biologist uh, Jose Hernan Sarsola. Uh, he has brought to light something I think is pretty fascinating. Uh, Mr. Sarsola is a uh, director of the Center for the Study and Conservation of Birds of Prey in Argentina. He's also the, the editor-in-chief of El Hernero, the Argentinian Ornithological Journal. So Sarsola assembled a team of field biologists to hike through Parque Luro National Reserve in Argentina and collect, um, well, they were in search of, as the old saying goes, it starts with an S and it ends with a T. <laughs> it comes out of you and it comes out of me. I know what you're thinking, but don't think that. We're scientists. We call it scat. Yay! <laughs> Yay! If you still haven't figured out what we're talking about, I'll spell it out clearly. We're looking for, they were looking for fecal material, a.k.a. poop. So uh, to be specific, uh, his team <laughs> wasn't just looking for any old scat. They were searching out scat from Puma Concolor, a.k.a. cougars. Now, okay. I know this might seem strange, as this guy's entire career is mostly focused is on bird, bird cuts. Yeah, I was right. wondering about that. Like, okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. 
Uh, so the researchers uh, were looking at this park and they found 123 piles of scat in the reserve. And they did what biologists do. They poked it with a stick. So they they did a little bit more than that, a little more scientific po- poking. Uh, they were Are you actually... sure? Because as a naturalist, I have poked many things that were dead with sticks or not dead or scat. And I have photos to prove it. Well, they, they were analyzing the samples. I'm sure it involved very small sticks. Uh, they wanted okay. to see what was inside. So of those 123 samples, uh, you know, they did contain the well-decomposed remains of animals they had eaten, of course, but they also contained something else. Any guesses what it might have been? Bacteria. Seeds. Ooh, we have bacteria and seeds. Uh, well, you're probably both right. I'm sure there was bacteria in there, but seeds is uh, the main thing they were looking for. And now when I think of cougars, I think of carnivores that take down some pretty good-sized prey. And most of them, I I guess I would kind of assume would be mammals. Like I'd probably picture if it was a, a cougar around places where I live, it's going to be something like rabbits or squirrels and, I don't know, maybe like a beaver or a raccoon. Young deer. I, I never, yeah, I never yeah, really maybe thought some about it small birds lot. if they can catch them. Well, uh, it turns out that, at least in this specific park they were in, uh, one of the favorite things they like to eat is birds. Uh, Specifically, they like to chow down on eared doves. Now, don't worry if you don't know what an eared dove looks like. They look a lot like a morning dove. So if you've seen a morning dove or probably pretty much any other kind of dove (laughs) near you, that's what they look like. There's not that much variation in doves. Yeah. Um, Wait, hold on. If it's an eared dove... Do yeah. they have ears? Well, all birds have ears, Rachel. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. Does it external. have like little tufts? No, I, I think um, there's some like black marks on their head or something that is sort of ear like, if I recall. But the story is right. not about ear doves. You can cover that next week if you want. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was they were they were looking um, through the scat, and they found out that there was, you know, I mean these doves technically, I guess, was <laughs> was in the scat. But the interesting bit was the seeds. These doves had eaten seeds. And when the cougars, who famously are not seed eaters, ate the mm-hmm. doves, they also swallowed the stomach and, uh, and what's called the crop of the bird. So if you're not familiar uh, with the word crop, it's not crop like crops farmers grow. It's a widening of the esophagus. It's the gizzard, just... if you're familiar with the turkey yeah. or chicken. Oh. It's like where Definitely they can store food for top. later, right? So when the cougars were eating the doves, they were also eating the seeds as well. How many seeds did they find, you ask? Uh, The researchers painstakingly combed through the scat and counted (laughs) 31,687 seeds. That's a lot of seeds. Rachel, pick pick a job off the ground there. (laughs) Uh, What? It didn't like it dissolved by the cougar and the dove? No, the now stomachs? keep in mind, uh, they this had not yet passed through the digestive tract of the dove. Okay, right? but mostly it's still probably passed in that crop through, or sort of that gizzard. It still it passed did pass, through the, the cougar. Sure <laughs> did. Also, yep, who yep. wants that job? Let's let's count how many seeds that were covered in scat. I'm gonna assume there was grad students involved, but I don't know all the details. Volunteers, <laughs> um, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, volunteers. So what happened was. Um, when they went through here, they also not only identified these 31,678 seeds, but also what kind of plant they came from. Uh, they found that they came from uh, the, the three primary plant species were common lamb's quarter, 
panic grass, and sorghum in that order of abundance. Incredibly, uh, the researchers planted the seeds to see what would happen, and many of them actually germinated, okay. which is very cool. So time for some math here. Uh, 31,687 seeds, 123 scats. That's 260 seeds per scat. Uh, they estimate there to be about nine cougars per 100 square kilometers in the reserve. And knowing how often the cougars uh, make deposits, as it were, they can then determine <laughs> what role cougars play in spreading around seeds. So they came up with an estimate uh, per square kilometer. So for each square kilometer of cougar range, they are spreading 5,000 seeds. Uh, another per way to look at that... Yeah. Well, I believe that's per year, uh, though I did okay. not see that specified, which is really weird. But uh, so that was to... a lot of math to say that cougars plant about five thousand plants per per, per kilometer. square kilometer. Yeah, per square now, kilometer way... of their range. Un... Okay, right. And not every one of those is going to germinate or be in a favorable spot, but that's that's the those are being deposited. That's they still estimate... astounding. Yeah, they actually estimate that a cougar, because they don't stay just in one square kilometer, a single cougar could spread 94,000 seeds per year. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, I just... Might... What? <laughs> yeah, it's it's way more than I think anyone is really expecting, because we don't they're think cougars. of them as seed eaters. <laughs> right, they're cougars. Yeah. We don't think of them as... Now, you might think that the birds would be spreading even more seeds than the cougars, but turns out, no, while the seeds can pass through the digestive tract of cougars unharmed, they cannot pass through the bird's entire digestive system without being destroyed. So actually the, the cougars are spreading way more of the seeds than the birds are. That's crazy. Yeah, so oh research like gosh. this is showing that sometimes the way ecosystems are naturally managed or form or spread, has a lot to do with hidden interactions or hidden ecological services that we're not seeing. Uh, I think we're familiar with the fact that a lot of seeds get passed around by animals. I mean, mm -hmm. that's why fruit is so tasty. I mean, you look at Victoria's story about that, that fruit and the, uh, the jackals like to eat it. And that's how that plant spreads around is by being tasty to jackals. So they will spread it around. I mean, or humans, we, we pick an apple off a tree and we maybe walk a mile while we're eating it and then start dropping and spitting out the seeds as, as we're going, and then new apple trees, you know, grow up. So we know yeah. that animals that are eating plants with seeds play an important role in the ecosystem. It's kind of cool to see carnivorous animals spreading seeds. It's kind yeah. of a fascinating, fairly new idea. Uh, so it's cool to see some research into that. I do want to point something out. There were some articles in the popular media that picked up on this research and talked about how these predators are important for spreading seeds. Um, but I felt like the articles were a little like rah, 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 cheering on how awesome and natural this all is and marveling at the mm. wonder of nature. And I think they didn't really analyze the fact that we also need to look at what seeds are being spread. The number one seed uh, being spread around was lamb's quarter and lamb's quarter is a non-native summer annual weed species mm. uh, in that area. And that, the th number thir three one was sorghum, which is a cultivated farm crop. Uh, panic grass, which was the second most common, is actually native to the area. So ultimately, the cougars were responsible for spreading both native and non-native plant species and definitely having an impact on the environment, some of which was probably positive and some may not have been so positive, depending on what seeds they were spreading around. Um, 
as anyone who's lived somewhere where buckthorn is prevalent, uh, like, like us, yeah. we know that animals are responsible for spreading buckthorn into our forests when birds eat the seeds and poop out the seeds, which remain viable through their digestive tract. So yeah. we're aware that animals do play a role in spreading species. Um, but I think it's also important to highlight that they're not um, somehow selectively only spreading those seeds that are positive for the environment. So it's really an awareness that it's more complex and that there's uh, one of those, it's kind of one of those reoccurring things we come back to that these systems in nature are far more complex than we sometimes paint them to be, which is pretty interesting. If you want to read more about this, you want to check out the entire research paper, it is called Hypercarnivorous Apex Predator Could Provide Ecosystem Services by Dispersing Seeds. Uh, came out hmm. February 2016 in Scientific Reports, which is one of the sort of sub-journals of nature. Uh, and the co-authors were uh, Juan Ignacio Zanon Martinez, Andrea Silvina Costan, and William J. Ripple. So thank you to them and their teams for doing this cool research. Yeah, that was really cool. What a neat story. I, Thanks, Kirk. Oh, no problem. That's so many seeds. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a lot of seeds. Well, hopefully uh, none of us will get eaten by cougars uh, before next week's show. Fingers crossed. Why, why would you bring that up? Now, now it could happen. Good luck, Rachel. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Bye. We hope. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.